welcome back to the Deep Fay. My name is Zach, joined by the one and only Mr. Raven. How are you doing? Doing good. Awesome stuff. Uh, today we're going to run through a couple of the big coaching hires that just last happened in the last few days. Most notably, obviously, being Jim Harbaugh going to the L.A. Chargers. I almost said San Diego. It's so just natural to say the San Diego Chargers. Then, right. Then we're going to move on, talk a little bit about Adrian Griffin fired a couple of days ago. Then Hallelujah. The, uh, the implications of that, what we think about Doc Rivers, Terry Rozier, and then run through a ton of trade deadline things since that is coming up in about two weeks. Um and as much as it is to my chagrin that happens smack dab in the middle of the Super Bowl week, we should talk about it anyway. But nevertheless, opening. Dean Spanos does not deserve Jim Harbaugh, but I think the Chargers do. Harbaugh, 29-21 and 21 in four years at Stanford, 44-19-1 with the 49ers, before being fired for butting heads with ownership and then uh, GM Trent Baalke. He then goes back to college and goes 89 and 25 with Michigan winning the national championship this past year. I think that it makes sense to hire him before they hire a GM. They're having a second round of interviews with, uh, with Brandon Brown, who is the giants assistant GM, someone to that effect, first timer veteran. I think that it's almost irrelevant. Bringing on someone that Harbaugh approves of avoids repeating the mistakes of the past where as much is made about how good of a coach he is and, he is, if you're putting these guys into tiers where like A to A plus is like Belichick, Vrabel. Um, I mean, if you are really into his scheming, I mean, put Ben Johnson in there or whatever. But like S is Harbaugh and Belichick to me. You could argue Vrabel too. But this is one of the, the golden gooses of the entire coaching market right now. I mean, but it's also in a sense of Fabergé egg. It's it's complicated because his stint in the NFL was so complicated before. And he himself has not gotten any less Jim Harbaugh since he last was coaching in the NFL. So I want to ask you something real quick. Yeah. With families like that have a name in coaching, like the Van Gundys, the whatever, the, the Harbaugh's, yeah. The, yeah. Do you, does that name help them enough to be able to like get their foot in the door for some of these jobs? Well, I think it depends on the. Um, I think I mean go to the Titans job. Brian Callahan is the son of a very well respected former offensive line coach in the league. That's that's just one example for Harbaugh. I think because he was so successful the first time, and honestly, I think John still being in the NFL and coaching the Ravens since they last met in the Super Bowl, I think also does him credit. And then, uh, I mean, I, I think it does matter. And I think that having a coach's name attached to you, I think, I mean, Steve Belichick is still on the Patriots staff. Like, it makes a difference. And being attached to these guys and having that name brand value. I mean, think about, like, if Marvin Harrison Jr. was named John... McJones, the second, I I do think people would be more willing to take like Malik Neighbors over him. I I love the if he LeBron James Jr. wasn't LeBron James Jr. If Bronny was no named, one knows if Bronny was named like Steve, no one would know. No one would know who he was. 
I, I I think that that's overselling it because people also know who Bryce James is. But yeah, to your point, I think that his continued success in college and then his brother's continued success just has brings this legacy that any he could have gone to any job that he wanted. Realistically, I don't think that if he said I want to coach the Titans, the Titans would have said no and taken Brian Callahan instead. Same with the Falcons. I know that he intended to meet with them for a second interview that got rescheduled, I'm guessing just because they decided they were going to hire Raheem Morris and that the Chargers were going to hire him. But going back to his last stint in the NFL, in 2012, the year that he met John in the Super Bowl, the Diners were second in scoring offense and second in scoring defense. 2011, his first year in the NFL, the year prior, he went 13-3, lost in the conference championship, also, second and second. 2013, jumping to a year after the Super Bowl. Third and third. 2014, he went 8-8, eight and eight, but still 10th in offense, 10th in defense. So, if you're the Chargers and you want to use history as your guide here. Like, obviously, he's an amazing college coach. That is That goes without saying. And he's proven it at the NFL level. I think he's still top 10 in NFL winning percentage all time as a head coach. And that it just speaks to his ability to transition over, I imagine he hasn't gotten any worse. But if you're looking for someone who can bring balance to both sides of the ball and a culture along with him, which, trust me, he has proven to be able to, then you got the right guy. And I think it will just all come down to that said balance, whether it's between him and the players, him and his GM, or him with the devil incarnate known as Spanos. But... I have every reason to believe that Jim Harbaugh can save Justin Herbert. I have every reason to believe that he can turn around this horrible defense that has been, despite Staley's supposed expertise, declining year after year. And I think that he's also going to be able to bring NFL talent over from his Michigan staff. They've already talked about him bringing his DC over. And I think that there are young OCs or like talented QB coaches, wide receivers, coaches, whatever, guys that will be chomping at the bit to work with Jim Harbaugh and just to attach himself to the Harbaugh name in the same way that guys are eager to attach themselves to McVay or, I mean, it's going to become McDaniels or the Shanahan's. I mean, hell, we have a Zach Taylor coaching tree now. Like, he is going to be able to attract talent, and that makes a difference too in building up this organization where before Staley did not have that pull. My final take on it, you needed someone to turn this shit around after the Staley debacle. And outside of Belichick, this is the most aggressive and most fundamentally reorganizing option available. There was a few weeks ago where we were talking about what the Chargers need to do to either save Herbert or, you know, just become a relevant team or somewhat decent. To, sh- to somehow shed themselves of the yeah. Chargers stink. And so <clears throat> I think... You know, with everyone else in the coaching staff, I don't know if you want to call it like transfer portal, but I mean, in a sense, in a sense, but like, I think this is the best coach you go for. You know, I don't think you want to go for Saban right after he leaves. Saban's not coming back to the NFL. No, but even like any of the other coaches that are kind of being moved around, I think Harbaugh is still the best chance for them to like actually make something the best out of it. It's weird because I've I've thought about this and I thought that they might end up hiring Vrabel just out of fear for 
going to an option that's not NFL established or hasn't been in about a decade. And I would have understand, understood that trepidation. But ultimately, I think this is the right decision because, again, it's the Chargers. You want to bring an air of credibility back to the organization that I don't even know if they had in San Diego, but there was at least some amount of credibility there. They at least had a bigger fan base. They had a fan base. If nothing else, Harbaugh gives you the Michigan fans, and that's, um, that is a significant boost to your ticket sales. Uh, before we move on to Raheem Morris, um, Michigan, I, I would encourage you not to bleep this, but I know you're going to. Go fuck yourselves and eat me, you sanctimonious Michigan assholes. Your God has left you. He doesn't. He's not going to die a Michigan man. He didn't want to get sanctioned. So eat it. He's on the Chargers now because he didn't want to get dunked on by the NCAA. Free Harbaugh. Shut up. Raheem Morris is hired by the Falcons. About a decade ago, Raheem Morris has been a head coach. He went 17-31 and 31 over three years, about a decade ago, coaching the Buccaneers. Had one good season, uh, bracketed by two terrible ones. He has since remade his career as a menacing defensive coordinator. Coached Atlanta, and now he's been coaching the Rams defense for the last three years. He's only 47, and I think the opinion is a little mixed because I thought a lot of people thought they were going to get Belichick. But I honestly, the more I think about it, and maybe I'm just overthinking it, but I kind of understand the value of having someone you don't think is going to retire immediately after they pass Don Shula and wins, and who is... I believe 25 years younger than Belichick. So Morris can grow into the role and his work with the Rams defense over the last few years, including starting a ton of rookies and young players, Ernest Jones, the rest East, uh, I mean, continuing to, I mean, it's not hard to make Aaron Donald look good, but he has maintained his status as one of the five to 10 best defensive players, even as he continues to age. And, the staff is going around the last three years, including the last two, especially he's had to face some of the toughest opposing offensive schedules in the league where, I mean, you're going up against Shanahan twice a year and then the Rams are playing first and second place schedules. Even last year when they weren't and this year too, they were facing, I believe the third and second toughest slate of opposing schedules and the defense still performed well. So I think defensively, he's going to bring a good attitude. If you ever listen to him on like podcasts or interviews, the dude's hilarious. I would love to coach for him, or I would love to play under him either. I just think that back in, uh, I think it was 2012, when he first got hired, a big problem was he got hired way too young and didn't have the support to actually perform as a head coach. He's older now. I think that there are mistakes of the past that, will be forgiven and this time around, and I don't think people are going to dwell too much on that. The Bucks were a joke then and weren't taken seriously by anyone. I mean, like hiring the dirt cutters of the world and stuff until they got Brady and uh, and I guess Baker Mayfield now. But I like, I like this pickup by the Falcons. Um, the coaching staff over there is really good. I think they had problems with head coaching for a while, but... Already... But, yeah, I mean, you get a guy like Raheem Morris in there trying to change things up. You know, he does need some help with the offensive side of things. But I think overall that team's going to be 
looking a lot better next year. I think they're going to be trying some new things and actually trying to win games that matter and not be like a bottom-of-the-pack team. Coming into this season, the entire NFC South was kind of seen as a joke, and it bore out that way where the 9-8 and Buccaneers won the division after winning it at 8-9 and the year prior. So I'm not inclined to say that the Falcons are suddenly going to become world beaters, but I would say that their biggest issue lies in the lack of creativity on offense with the amount of good players that they have, and then their, I mean, general lack of pass rush and ineptitude on defense. And if you look at the players that that the uh, that the Rams were rolling out this year, like it it wasn't crazy world beaters outside of Donald. So to get to a point where I think the Rams defense was legitimately feared. And if you watch that Lions game, the Lions are in the NFC championship now. And you could very much argue that the Rams should have won that game. So like I'm not I'm not telling you that I find the Rams necessarily better than the Lions, but I think the Rams are better than like the Browns or were better than the Dolphins or better than like going to the end, better than the Eagles. And these are all the teams that were uh, technically above them in the standings. And I think a lot of that falls at the hands of Morris's defensive ability and, I mean, McVay's obvious offensive genius. Coming back around, ultimate point being, they need a good OC. Because as great as Morris is offensive, or as a defensive mind, and as much as I think that he will be able to galvanize these guys and just be a positive presence from everything that I know about him, you need to have support. I know that you've done this before, but this is the same thing I said about Brian Callahan. I don't know if you need to... Someone brought up the idea that if Belichick really wants to coach, that someone might be able to get him as their coordinator for a year so that he stays in football. I don't necessarily think that'll happen. But something to that effect, whether that is hiring, like... I know Cliff Kingsbury was uh, interviewing for the Bears job I think getting someone like that who has experience at the NFL level and is an proven at least offensive mind is great. So whether it's Kingsbury or someone else, bring in some experience on the offensive end, set yourself up for success. And then I like Morris. The, the specter over this is that now I don't think Belichick is going to coach in 2024. And so what does that mean? Is he done? No, he's already expressed a desire to continue coaching. So he's 72, I believe. Adding another year to that is not going to make it any easier for him to ultimately surpass Shula. And unless there is an unforeseen firing approaching, I don't think any of the four teams left in the playoffs have any risk. Who, who's left to coach? No one. So unless you, you think that like Tomlin might unexpectedly retire or later in the cycle... You might ixnay on a Sirianni or, I mean, I don't know. Like, Antonio Pierce got hired to the Raiders. They're just, there's just not enough chairs left. And so despite him being one of the greatest coaching minds that we've ever seen, he's probably going to have to wait a year. Now, in a year, I still think people are going to want Bill Belichick, but he's not getting any younger. Additionally, Mike Vrabel, less of a story because he's much younger and can probably afford a year off, but... 
I'm I'm a little confused why he hasn't been hired either. I I take it that if the Falcons had a choice between Vrabel and Raheem Morris that they would have hired Vrabel, but again, maybe these guys just want a year off. I don't know. Maybe they want to wait until a coaching position opens up. We're going to talk about it in the next segment, but hey, Doc Rivers was just sitting on TV. And then the team that has Giannis Antetokounmpo and Damian Lillard became available. Every chance that happens too. There are teams going into next year that very possible their coach gets fired midseason. So if these guys don't want to coach the Panthers, then I would suggest um, biding your time and waiting for someone like... I'm going to sound like a hater if I say Eberflus. So uh, Dennis Allen or... um, I don't know, like, I mean, even if people get tired of Stefanski because the Browns start bad next year, I don't know. I think that's ultimately the game of a plan of action for both of them. And for your, your Belichick especially, like, I get it. Because if you didn't fit with any of these teams and you just spent the last four years toiling after Brady left... I would understand the reticence to just jump into a new situation where you aren't confident about how, especially with the Falcons, that ownership was going to get along with you or let you exert your control. So I look forward to seeing where he signs next year, but I don't think we're going to see anything until then. Just a moment, we'll be right back. Uh, Jump into some of the other coaching news in the NBA trades and all that fun stuff. Be right back. And we're back. So jumping off top, uh, Raven, I'll let you, I'll let you take the corner on this one in just a second because of your Milwaukee allegiances. But after 43 games, Adrian Griffin is done. Bucks record at the time of the firing was 30 and 13. Stotts stepping down was the first inkling that we that we had about something being wrong with Griffin. Uh, great uh, synopsis of all this by Jack Maloney at CBS. But running through some of it, he gives a great timeline just in the order of things that have happened since September. But I'll run through it again for anyone who missed a piece of the puzzle here. Preseason, after what seemed to be just a minor, uh, a minor kerfuffle, uh, Terry Stotts was simply asking, from what accounts have been given, was asking for independent work slash just to convene with Giannis and Dame. Uh, Adrian Griffin bitches him out in front of the entire team, and since there was already tension between the two, Terry Stotts steps down, is, resigns, fired, whatever you want to say. After that, uh, shortly after a game, Giannis was publicly drawing up plays with an assistant coach during media availability, um, which, I mean, isn't necessarily a a bad thing, but it was just such a weird counterpoint to what they were trying to do to that point. They had lost 127-110 to to the Hawks, and... They were like actively trying to draw new plays and t- discuss scheme while the media was in the locker room, which just doesn't happen. After that, the Bucks were two and two, gave up 130 points to the Raptors, and intervened with Adrian Griffin to try to get him to change his defensive tactics. 
the big difference being that they were trying to play a more aggressive on and off ball style, blitzing on screens, sending their big men's like Bobby Portis, but especially Brooke Lopez up um, rather than having them sit in drop coverage like they had under under Mike Budenholzer. And then they played the Knicks. Brooke Lopez got nine blocks and they won. So quoting Griffin from after that game, sometimes as coaches, we are too smart for our own selves. A couple players came to me, I won't disclose, but they wanted Brooke deeper in the drop and I was smart enough to listen to them. It paid off tonight. As a former player, it helps me relate to the players because the players are in the trenches. We watch it on film, but they live it. The players aren't always correct with their assessment, but I think it's wise to at least listen to them. That's, I think in life, generally a great sentiment to, um, to have the humility and the self-awareness to say, I'm not always right. Let's consider it this way. I think it's slightly concerning that that happened after four games, even if I it was right. Four games, dude. I feel like it was after two games that we started feeling these problems. Really, I think we, th- you did, but then the intervention, quote unquote, came after four from the players, yeah, but and that's just that's pretty soon. Even is. even if I generally agree with being uh, acquiescent to what your um, I guess your employees slash coworkers, however you want to phrase it, saying, but again. Four games for the head coach, a little concerning. After that, very publicly against the Celtics on November 22nd, although um, although the final score wasn't that bad, they were pretty soundly beat. There was a point in the game where Griffin subbed Giannis out. Giannis was clearly upset with that and didn't want to come out, so he immediately checked himself back in at the scorer's table. Not great. Yep, Giannis refused to discuss it, and Griffin pretty much brushed it off. Next, in a late November game, Giannis essentially overruled Griffin to give Chris Middleton the ball late in the game. It actually paid off, and they won because Middleton made a couple key shots. Again, this is in November. You're the new head coach. You're already being overridden. Against the game, against the Bulls, they were not, um, they were not sure on whether or not they should foul with a three-point lead in the closing seconds. So instead of fouling, Alex Caruso sent it into overtime with a three-pointer, and they eventually lost. After that, Griffin said that they had caught the ball with their back to the basket, then they were supposed to foul. So they were, like, coached one way, but the players didn't seem to actually understand what the plan was and that's just kind of representative of this whole situation in the in-season tournament they were outscored 15 to 7 by the Pacers in the final two and a half minutes making a bunch of mistakes on both sides of the ball and ended up losing Lillard uh quoting what was going on in a missed buddy heel hook back late in the game the play with Chris Lillard was saying, he got the ball in the inbound and I was just running up the opposite slot and, you know, we didn't really have a play call, you know. So I was standing opposite of him and I didn't know if he was going to attack or what. Not great. Giannis had a much longer tirade that I won't get into, but essentially condemned their play calling, criticized himself and the team, but also pointed out that they got to be on the same page. And then also that, criticized the, uh, the cleaners, which... Whatever. Which, as... Just, just stupid. <laughs> like it, it's, it's sour grapes. I understand that he was trying to be like 
the whole franchise as a whole needs to be together and working together more. But you don't need to throw those people under the bus, man. They're cleaning your jerseys already. They're doing fine. Starting 2024, they went on a 1-4 skid and got dunked on by the Rockets in the first half. Giannis went on, a again, a lengthy tirade discussing how defensively they have to have a plan, saying that they have to be better, he has to be better, they have to defend better, so on and so forth. And then very keenly said, we have to be coached better. And then the last one, which I did not even know, but a few nights after their loss to the Rockets, they were playing against the Jazz. Before the game, Adrian Griffin was asked about Giannis's comments. And he, uh, when he was asked if, about the, the claim that he needed to be coached better, Griffin let out a nervous chuckle and said, I agree. And then they lost by... The 40? Yeah. So after that, the front office started coming to practices. And before you know it, Adrian Griffin is fired. Raven, what do you think? Ah, so... You called this before. I did. You called called this way sooner than I thought it could have actually happened. I called this probably 20 games into the season. Um, I did not like Adrian Griffin as a head coach. I don't think they were running the team in a way that was winning games in, like, a system, like how uh, Budenholzer did. They were winning despite it. They were winning, yeah, like, they were winning. They're 13 and... Or thirty and thirteen to spite Adrian Griffin. They're not thirty and thirteen because of Adrian Griffin. But he's the best coach. He's the coach with the best record to be fired in the NBA. Um, and like I said, I've been wanting this for a while. His playbook was weak, and there was no emphasis on defense. They went consistently from a top five defense in the last three or four years to now being twenty second in the league, which. With guys like Brooke Lopez and Giannis, I don't think you can be 22nd in the league with those two big men. Actually, they're 20th. Oh, boy. So much better. Um, What's, um, not to interrupt you, but to add to that point, yeah. up to this point, only the Suns have had an easier opposing schedule as well. <laughs> so, like, I was also going to say, like, our next 10 games are not easy. Just to read through them. Um yeah, Mavs. they actually they just beat the Cavs, which considering how hot they've been recently, dead coach bounce, whatever did just beat the Cavs. But tonight they're playing them again. And it's the Pelicans, the Nuggets, Trailblazers, fine. But then Mavericks, Jazz, Suns, Timberwolves, Hornets, the, wor- the world beating Hornets, and then the Nuggets again. Doesn't get much easier after that too. So I, it's going to get tougher. Yeah, they I do mean, have some cakewalk. They're they're pretty much already guaranteed. They're seventeen games over five hundred, and they have enough games against mediocre to bad teams that they could like sleepwalk into probably fifty wins. Yeah. But but I don't I don't think a we deserve fifty wins, and b we're even going to get there. I think you know we'll probably scrape high forties, but I'm not sure how I feel about Doc being head coach yet. I. I respect Doc. I respect his game. I think a lot of his accolades go to that ring he won in, was it 08? Mm-hmm. Um, he's got the experience, but I do think people overanalyze that experience a lot, with, especially with him. I'm just hoping that he has the ability to keep guys like Middleton, Giannis, and Dame like into it because... That was one of the biggest things that I heard was that Adrian Griffin just lost the locker room. 
like fast. Bro, he lo- he lost Thanasis. <laughs> like, well, I mean, okay, I feel like losing Thanasis is like um, losing like I don't know if I'm at the end of a night bartending and I accidentally leave behind a one dollar bill that I got at the end. I'm not that mad about it. Well, so I understand that point, but like. <laughs> I'm mostly just making fun of Thanasis, but I get your point. That's true. But Amino Hassan said it really well where it's like any head coach knows that you got to keep Thanasis in this, in the locker room, especially to like, because that's a part of keeping Giannis is keeping his brother happy and like keeping him engaged. But if you lose your entire locker room in 40 games, that says something about your head coaching. Of course. I think. Um, like you were saying, K-Mid and Giannis were making game-time decisions and they were winning because of it. I think Adrian Griffin would be a great AAU coach, but I don't think he deserves another shot in the NBA for a little bit. I think he needs to either go back to college or well, become un- underneath a, like Nick Nurse or something. So a lot of... Okay, to that point, he was... I mean, he was one of the ACs well, on, on the Toronto Raptors so for years. That was another thing was when Giannis was asked about the head coaching position at the beginning of this year, they gave him the options of Nick Nurse or Adrian Griffin. Or um, Kenny Atkinson. And Giannis chose Adrian Griffin. So he, Which he is, um, shout out to, uh, to Rick Buecher, who uh, at Fox who wrote another good story just like summating a lot of the uh, the rumblings that led up to this that Giannis did support him and had the choice between um, him and Nick Nurse, who they did not seem to to get along off of first couple meetings, or Kenny Atkinson, who is on the Warriors bench right now. And he chose Adrian Griffin and has since re- expressed regret for that. But, I mean, to your point... They lost him. They lost Giannis. You can, like, the fact that I think most even just armchair, like, dudes who have watched Giannis play for, like, he seems angry this year. No, he's definitely unhappy, which, as a Bucks fan, makes me more worried if... Well, it has to. Yeah, I mean, it's just in the sense of, like, why isn't the front office doing things like we would have done three years ago. Like, you got Dame, yeah, but you got a crappy head coach first. And do you think if you got Dame before picking your head coach, that would have influenced things? Because I heard that take before, and I don't personally agree with it, but I think... I think they were considering that, considering they had stats on the staff. Yeah, I mean... Would you do... The Dame trade over again. I would still take Dame, but I don't know if I would with, like, I would really like to see how Drew Holiday did on this team. I mean, we know what Drew Holiday can do on this team. He has a ring because of it. Yes, but, like, I'm saying more so is, like, how would he help the Adrian Griffin stint? Because... With a top, like a actual top five defender that can hold on to people and guard multiple type of guys, I think that does change how 
they were perceived in the first half of the season. I still take that Dame trade over again, though, personally. I, I really like Drew Holiday, but you need some more star power than K-Mid and Drew Holiday to keep you honest here. So them getting Dame does make me feel comfortable that he's here for at least another year or two. It's it's tough because I think that if the trade guarantees Giannis's signature on the dotted line, you have to make it. And from what we know, it did. Wojbaum just dropped about this. Um, they just picked up a new head coach or a new assistant coach. Who? I lost the thing. I think it was Rex. Okay. Whatever. Um, to that to that point, Rex who? Rex Ryan? <laughs> no, it just went away and I can't find it anymore. Okay, but. then it's probably not that important. Um, I, I, I get... It's different because uh, Drew plays a different role on the Celtics team and is bracketed by guys like Derek White, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. So he is not asked to be as much as a point of attack you know, attack dog for not to use the same term twice, but like it's different. And I think that in Griffin's system, having holiday at the point of attack rather than Dame or even having like Grayson Allen in the wings, just as another guy with some length and athleticism to be able to push up on guys, it might be a bit better. I think the players would have still had the same problem with it. Rex Kalmian. Kalmian. I know who that is, but his longtime assistant coach. So cool. Doc got hired. I stopped with the David Blatt comparisons because that it's just apples and oranges. I mean, David Blatt was after a year and a half. He got hired to coach a rebuilding Cavs team that then got LeBron. It's not the same thing. The more um, I think the more apt comparisons were if you care about football, Antonio Pierce already being on the staff. And then uh, taking over as the Raiders head coach and they get way better on defense and he gets hired this year or coming into this offseason. Or um, it made me think of Rick Pitino. He was there for a few years back in the late 90s, early aughts with the Celtics. But then he got replaced by just a a guy, Jim O'Brien. But the rest of the season, Celtics went 500 and were very visibly happier with um with what someone would call a retread or just an uninspiring choice. And to what you said about losing the locker room, say what you will about Doc. And his coaching failures are well-documented, but he is a star's coach. He, no matter what, like, he managed Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Rajon Rondo, and then Ray Allen wonderfully. They stayed together, and until Ray left at the end... Relative peace and harmony. He coached Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre years. It wasn't like discontent with Doc that led to issues. It was health or just underperformance. And yes, the most blown 3-1 leads in history. But I mean, even with the Sixers, one of those, Ben Simmons, like that seven-hole playoff series where he refused to take shots because he didn't want to get fouled where over the course of the last four or five games in that series, he took zero shots in the fourth quarter. Like, I don't know if I attribute that to him. I don't know if I attribute Embiid's banged upitude last postseason slash just his 
general underperformance. I don't know if I blame him for Harden only being able to get up for half of their games and only he won one against the Celtics, but otherwise he was still James Harden in the playoffs. He had good moments, he had bad moments, but the bad outweighs the good when the margins are that thin against teams like the Celtics. I I do hold Doc accountable for a lot of that, but if nothing else, you need to satiate Giannis and Dame. Giannis more than Dame. Doc Rivers does that. I am at, There's no way that they hired him without his approval. I'm sure he got it, and every guy in that room respects Doc Rivers implicitly. And that goes a long way. You're adding someone at the middle of the season. This is I, I can't I had some confidence that they may might be able to do something wild in the playoffs just because I believe in Giannis and Dame, and I think over the course of the year they will lean harder and harder into the things that are almost unstoppable. Giannis being the screener in those actions, hell, even reverse screens with Dame or throw Middleton in there, and it becomes terrifying because you have the black hole gravity of Giannis rolling to the rim versus Dame at the three-point line, despite his lower efficiency this year. There's so much there already, and they're the second-best team in the East, record-wise, but it, it's kind of amazing that they're, they're five games, four games behind the Celtics and two games ahead of the Sixers, one and a half, but the, the gap between Miami and Boston is... 7.3 in net rating. Boston is a plus 10. Miami, or Milwaukee is a plus 2.7. And that is the same as the difference between Milwaukee and like somewhere between the Spurs and the Grizzlies. Like if you're going purely off of that as a base stat, it's, it's mind-numbing that they're in the position that they're in, but that speaks to Dame's ability, that speaks to Giannis's ability to pull out games that they probably shouldn't. Schedule's going to get harder, and I think that it's not going to be any easier trying to integrate a new coach and a new coach's system as you do that. But I am one to believe in Doc's personality handling ability. Like we just said, they just beat the scorching hot Cavs in their first game with him as coach. So as much as I think we can belittle the decision to hire Adrian Griffin in the first place, I think Doc is a good pivot for what they need. Just don't expect anything. Because, I I mean, I think you'd agree with this. Integrating a new coach in the midseason, no matter who it is, it could be Jesus Christ himself. I mean, they still have to learn his system and just become comfortable as a team after they just went through the entire ordeal of removing a first-time head coach after half the season. What can we reasonably expect this team to accomplish when they, I think, inevitably get to the playoffs? Because firing your coach midseason, no matter who replaces him, it it screams first Problems. round, first yeah, round, upset. first round exit. Oh no, I think, yeah, first or second round. I mean, unless they just have major like health. Uh, advantage compared to like some of the other teams. That's the only reason why. Did I you think... mean Dave Yeager? No. Well, he's joining the co- their coaching staff. Okay. Anyway. No, I meant Rex Callaman, which is what it said on the Woj. <laughs> Whatever. So on the Woj. On the Woj. Woj bomb. Um. Yeah. I mean, I don't really see this team going too far this year. I think it's. 
fix up your problems and try to reverse some of the problems and issues that were happening this year and then just go all out next year. But you want to move over to uh, going to all out heat. this year. Terry Rozier traded to the Heat for Kyle Lowry in a lottery-protected 2027 draft pick. Now that pick becomes unprotected if it doesn't convey in 2027. It will be unprotected in 2028. That all goes to Charlotte. As a fit, I personally am a big fan. I think Lowry is done as a high-impact starter, and Rozier is having his most significant statistical season. He's long at the point of attack. He has a 6'8 wingspan despite his height. And his defensive numbers don't grade out well this year, but the Hornets suck. Go back to Boston, and it's improved. And watching him, he does have the size for it. It's just they're small, and I think that Rozier himself, whether or not that you want to grade him out as a particularly impactful defender, can at least guard up in a way that will mesh well with what the Heat are trying to do. He's not a center who's going to come in there and bang, but you're replacing Kyle Lowry, who even in his, uh, in his declining declining form is at least a bothersome defender, if not the same laterally quick one that he once was. This is the first time on years that he will have to give half a shit about defense. So as much as I will just degrade heat culture and their shitty jerseys with it, I do think that Rozier being plopped into that, essentially just swapping him out for Lowry is a huge win. I think he'll also heavily benefit just thinking about it and thinking about what he is good at as an athletic point guard with long arms. He's going to benefit from the zone that they like to heavily implement in the playoffs or just, I mean, throughout the regular season too. But if he's bought in, which there's no reason to believe he won't be, then I think he is both a perfect cultural fit and then is going to mesh well with some of the things that they try to do on defense. The only buyers beware is that his usage rate sitting at about 26%, hence the career high is in a lot of facets. I'm not... I'm not suggesting that he's going to hit anywhere near that now that he's playing with probably I I know it's it's not fair to say that Hawkes has more of a a share of the offense than he does, but I think if they're smart he does. I agree. I think this is one of my points. You don't want to take those shots away from him. Yeah. yeah, I don't I think like you said, you already have so many scores on this team that realistically you're he's going to be a fourth or fifth option on offense. And then I heard um, a take where he's going to be like a raid off ball kind of player, just moving around. And then when he gets the ball, just attacks the rim, which I think it's a really good fit for them since they have so many shooters already. But personally, I'm not super impressed with this trade. I think, he, he's really good this season. He hasn't been that good the rest of the, his career. So, I don't know. I think it feels like they're just kind of seeing what works and what doesn't work at this point for the Heat. And I'm excited to see what happens. But I'm not going to be too supporting this. I mean, I think... Well, I, do you agree that just swapping out Terry Rozier for this, like, a geriatric version of Kyle Lowry is an improvement. Yeah, I think getting rid of Kyle Lowry is 
always an improvement, especially in this day and age. Yeah. But I don't know. I just it gives them a little bit more youth, which is good. But at the same time, to a sense, I mean, he's almost he's going to turn thirty this year. I mean, it's a little younger than it's Kyle younger Lowry. than Kyle Lowry, but yeah, you can't um, you can't sacrifice Butler, Bam, or Jaime's touches for Rozier. In my opinion, I think you could. I mean, I even want to say you don't want to sacrifice heroes just because of the type of player he is. Where if you're just if you're siphoning off his offense, then he just automatically becomes less valuable because that's what he does. I think that he adds another shot, tough shot taker and maker. His three point percentage has jumped up over being down in thirty two and thirty three over the last few years. I think that to your point. Good Lord, does he make things easier if he can blend off ball because he can just do different things than Lowry can at this point in his career where, like, work Lowry would be able to be a reliable catch-and-shoot guy or coming off of curls or just rolling and kicking out. He does not have the athleticism, athleticism for it anymore. Terry Rozier does. But Terry Rozier is also in the bottom quartile of the entire league and finishing at the rim. And his three-point percentage is, like, it's only okay. It's 35%. Go back to his first season with Boston, it's 37, then dips to 35. And then his first season with Charlotte, it's 30, it's 40, then 39, 37. Way down last year, back up this year. I don't think he's lost his touch. Uh, another interesting thing, I Charlotte's been playing him as a proper point guard rather than a two, which he has been pretty much his entire time there which is interesting. It's because LaMelo's been hurt, but I think getting those uh, reps this season makes him more comfortable, or I think naturally it would have to, filling in as a point guard rather than essentially occupying the same space as Hero. So your best lineups are going to have Bam, Jimmy, and Jaime. Just full stop, those are your best lineups to have out there. No one's going to disagree with that. If you can blend Hozier, Jesus, Rozier... (laughs) Rogier and Hero, there you go. Um, that's their fucking baby's name. They're two. <laughs> Good luck uh, defending that team because oh my god, the dynamic duo of Hozier. If not starting Rogier and uh, having Hero as the scorched earth, Sherman's march to the sea six man, and filling in Caleb Martin as a more versatile wing defender and as a starter is. Is a more balanced and versatile lineup anyway. If nothing else, again, you're adding a better player than Lowry and just making your rotation all the more viable because behind him, you have shooting. You have Hero and Robinson. You have guys like, I mean, Kevin Love too, who will just randomly put up 15 rebounds in a game despite having white in his beard. You got your Haywood Highsmiths, which, you know, I, it's a little funny just because we're talking about a 10th man, but go through like the clean the glass data and a lot of their best lineups, including their most played ones, feature him. And I think that as that athletic young big, he is valuable. And we're going to get to it, but I think that they're just a little bit more size on the back end away from being more viable than the Bucks for sure. And then sneaking up on the Sixers and the Celtics if if everyone stays healthy, if they just get someone like like a Nick Richards or an Isaiah Stewart back there who can bang behind Bam or with them, then I think that they didn't give up enough to not be able to make any more moves, and I think this makes them significantly better. And I think that that's 
I mean, we can argue about what the word significantly carries in that sentence, but it's not nothing. And then as far as like the the tiering of what trades have happened to this point, if it's on the range from Dame and Harden trades to like the uh, to the Pistons trading for Danilo Gallinari, I think it's closer to Lillard and Harden than it is to Isaiah Livers for Mike Muscala. You know what I mean? Yeah. You want to take a short break? We'll jump back here in a minute. Uh, read through the all-star starters. Not that I have any particular issue with those. And then run through some trade deadline teams. All right. We'll be right back, everyone. And welcome back. All right. Before we jump into trade deadline teams, the all-star teams were officially announced. So out in the east, east we have no one of real um no real concern. I mean, Raven, did you have any qualms with anyone that was actually announced? I'm looking right now, I'm looking at the starters. I my the only quibble that I had was maybe Dame getting in over either Brunson or Tyrese Maxey. Yeah, I'm, I know I, you said uh Brunson, which I generally agree with. I I don't I think I, I said Maxey, but I would have gone either. I think yeah, I think it works. Uh, I'm curious to see who's on the bench. Oh, not They haven't announced that yet. But uh, um they will be revealed on Thursday, February 1st, which well, that's because uh, the it's a coach's decision. Yeah. But interesting thing, just because shout out to this, because now I can see the actual rank of of guys and how they were voted by each uh, group of people. For those that don't know, uh, players, fans, and the media all have votes for who makes the all-star team. And in previous years... It had been uh, up until a few years ago that the fan vote was like the overwhelming majority of it. But now it's more evenly balanced and that prevents guys from like, think like the year where the Warriors were 73 and nine and Zaza Pachulia almost made it as a starter. Prevents that kind of thing from happening. Um, But we can look at it and it's player rank, fan rank, and media rank. Lillard was fourth in player, third in fan, fifth in media. Um, Like... I'm not going to quibble too hard. I thought that Maxi deserved to be a starter, and I think Brunson too, but I think that Lillard's making it as one of the first reserves anyway, so who gives a shit? Those two guys are going to make it. Um, interesting, though, among guards in the East, Halliburton was first among players, fans, and the media. Awesome. A little bit of a, a bit of regional bias here. Myself being from Indiana, I am very happy to see that Halliburton was able to break through the um, the small market bias of... He absolutely deserved it, though. Yeah, I mean, well, he's obviously a charismatic and fun player to watch anyway, but it, even if you don't really like the in-season tournament, the one thing that you have to be super appreciative of is that people across the country know how goddamn good Tyrese Halliburton is and how funny he is to watch. Hope he's uh, Hope he stays healthy. With the um, with the hamstring thing obviously bothering him, but great that he is so universally recognized. And then 
across the forward spots, Giannis, Tatum, Embiid, no issues there. In the backcourt for the West, Doncic and Shea, again, no really, uh, no real qualms of either at that. I'm a little mad that the Thunder didn't make it farther in the in-season tournament or haven't been properly recognized, apparently, because Shea was first in the player rank and first in the media rank, but third in the fan vote. What? <laughs> Shea has been, if not the best card, the second best. And if you consider Luka a forward, which, I don't know, I feel weird considering Luka Doncic a guard just with how he plays, but that's neither here nor there. I think Shea has an argument for, like, the third best player in the league. So for him to be third among West guards is kind of like disgusting to me, but is what it is. LeBron uh, makes it as the all-star captain. Not a surprise. He was going to make it in any case. And he actually had, this was not a Kobe making in his final season kind of thing. LeBron still obviously deserves to be here. And then KD and Jokic. I think that LeBron was always going to be a starter, but Anthony Davis might be more impactful on that team so far this year. But again, that's not something that I'm going to like consider a snub. And then I think Kevin Durant is interesting because as important as he's been to that team, I think you had an argument for, um, for either Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, just someone from the Clippers to represent a spot in the starting lineup with how good they've been since Harden. I thought that they might have a chance to get one in, but that is not what happened. And how Jokic... Like, I, I get it that fans want to vote LeBron in, but the fact that LeBron was over Jokic as an all-star captain makes no sense to me. Yeah. But not much uh, more to talk about there, considering it is mostly in line with what we thought. I'm curious to see the reserves. I think there's some guys on the fringes that people will get mad about, but that's every damn year. For Dre deadline target teams, I split up every team into different categories. Uh, if I miss your team, it's because they are irrelevant and I don't care about you. <laughs> but I split up into obvious buyers and obvious sellers first. Obvious buyers, let me know if you quibble with any of these. Uh, I said the Lakers, the Suns, the Bucks, the Sixers, the Clippers, the Timberwolves, the Thunder, the Kings, the Heat, and the Knicks. I think those teams fall into different kinds of buyers. Because if you're the Lakers, obviously with your meandering offense and defense... Did you see the Snoop clip where he was, um, I think he was on oh, Steven Jackson's podcast, I want to say? I did. Um, where he's talking, not to Jenny Buss directly, like over the phone, but through the camera where he said that they need to move some furniture around, if you know what I mean, which from this is what not, it sounds like. Uh, this is not news. No, it's not, but. They the Lakers are historically a team that will go after a young guy and then run him into the ground, <laughs> but they don't really have any young guys right now. So they just have to run the old guys into the ground. Mm-hmm. Currently twentieth on offense and fourteenth on defense. They're meandering. They have a negative net rating. They are sitting at five hundred as we're speaking right now, twenty three and twenty three. So. There, there are a lot of guys that we wrote down and can run through the most obvious and the one that has been most commonly discussed is Levine being sent there. And it's some combination of D'Angelo Russell and Rui Achimura. And my firm like foot in the sand 
uh, point on this is absolutely not. What point do the Bulls have to do? Like, I know how much the Bulls love to meander and not actually pick a direction, but taking on D'Angelo Russell and Rui Achimura doesn't make you significantly or at all younger. And it's just adding salary flotsam that you don't need. Like, what business do we have having D'Angelo Russell and Rui Achimura instead of Levine? At least keep Levine at that point. Like, you could get a far-off pick that might end up being valuable, but you're not fundamentally changing your direction and probably getting worse. D'Angelo Russell isn't a point guard. He is going to occupy the same role as Levine, if not worse because at least Levine, despite his warts, is still one of the most, like, eye-popping, explosive first-step players in the league and that I've ever seen, frankly. So I don't, I don't know why you're coming to the table with that. I think that the only way that I personally, as the Bulls, would be willing to do it is if they've already traded everyone else, which, like, fine, and then you can just reroute those guys, or if you're getting Austin Reeves. And despite Reeves' early struggles, he's fine now. Like, I don't know that the Lakers can afford to get Austin Reeves. So, I mean, what are, what are we doing at that point? It's just a stalemate. Reeves has been... Like one of the graded out as one of the worst uh, defensive guards by like on off and efficiency. And you can't attribute that to everything, but he has been part of the problem. And I don't think Levine's going to make that any better. So if they're swapping them out, it's a little juice on offense for pretty much the same defense. The, the Lakers are, are their own thing because they're the Lakers, but like the offensive punch that they need is going to be at the sacrifice of what little defense they have. I mean, if you, the other one is DeJounte Murray, again, who I think people have just now noticed this year isn't the same defensive menace that he once was. So it might be a more balanced approach than Levine, but if you're the Hawks, I mean, we've talked about Trey Young on, on this show before. Like, why the hell would you want to compound your problems by putting D'Angelo Russell next to Trey Young. That is the most nausea-inducing backcourt that I can remember. Like, going back to the days of, uh, what, like, the Eric Bledsoe and the, um, oh, who was the two they were starting next to him all the time? Like, imagine, like, Eric Bledsoe and Pat Connaughton type deal where it's just like, what do you guys do? trying to relate it to your team or for my shitty-ass team when it was like Ryan Archidiakono getting starter minutes. Um, but imagine that they're like all-stars who shoot 34% from the field on bad nights. Like, I I might give up my league pass if I have to watch the Hawks with both of those players on it. Again, I have no problem with Rui. It's just, like, why are they adding that salary? Running through the rest, Suns, Bucks, kind of in the same spot. The Bucks, especially. What kind of player do you want them to add? Because, I mean, they can't make another Dame-type trade, but they have to do something on the fringes. They they lost Grayson Allen, who's been one of the best three-point shooters in the league this year. Is it someone to that effect? Do they want to go after, like, a Luke Kennard just to improve spacing, or do you want something more fundamental? I want a 2017 Sean Livingston with that mid-range, baby. Mid-range and defense. I think that's well. I think that's why they've been talked about with Dejounte. It's just I don't know that they have enough to make that deal, or if they do, 
they're going to have nothing left, and yeah. Marjan Bochamp is going to play 25 minutes a game. I don't know. I mean, I would like them to see like them make a guy from like one of the lower, like bring up a guy from the herd type thing, but that's the G League team for those who don't know. But that seems more like a um like a last ditch effort margin hunting type deal. I I think that they're going to prioritize defense over shooting at this point, just what the way that this has gone this year. Um, another one that I thought about, I also thought about him for the Suns, but Royce O'Neal, who I think has been in trade rumors every year that he's been alive, going back to the day he was born. Um, but I think adding his defense and then like at least hypothetical threat of three-point shooting would make a difference. Down the rest, Sixers, Clippers, Timberwolves all have been really impressive the rest of the season. Sixers, again, shooting. Clippers, just, I guess, size to have someone besides Zubats, but he plays so damn well with Harden that I wouldn't be that concerned about getting someone really significant. Just picking up a guy like a Nick Richards from Charlotte, who is just tall, can play athletically, if not great defense, and then rebound, great. Just having another body in there. Timberwolves, I think they should get Kyle Lowry. Because... A couple nights ago, we talked about it on Tuesday. I didn't say it very eloquently, but like those big nights from Embiid, Towns, and Durant all were just emblematic of what these teams need for their guys to win. And Towns getting 62, getting essentially benched the last few minutes, and then Finch being asked if he thought Towns was shot hunting and him saying yes. Like... Ant was sick that game. Great. You lost to the Hornets. And Mike Conley was out. So Mike Conley can't be Conley can't be the only reason that you're losing these types of games when you're forced to rely on someone like Cat. And you can't have his, I mean, still solid defense, but diminishing athleticism at the at the top of the key there guarding. So I think bringing in Lowry to do a lot of the same things as Conley, just more annoyingly, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Lowry's also been a good three-point shooter this year, albeit not on the same shot volume as he was going back into previous years. I think he'd be almost perfect. For the Thunder, it's been beaten to the ground. What they need, size behind Chet or alongside him, someone like Olenek, someone like Nick Claxton, a banger. You said Jared Allen. I agree with that. I just think that the Cavs have been too good to actually be able to convince themselves to trade anyone away. Kings, Heat, Knicks. Knicks, Heat already made their move, but have a chance to add at the fringes. I think they've already made their big one, though. The Kings are in the market for just about everyone, and because they have their um, their Davion Mitchells, their picks, I mean, if you want to hit the nuclear option and there's someone that you wouldn't find available otherwise and you have to send Murray out, I think it's a mistake if it's not someone that, like, if it's not a woe kind of deal. You know what I mean? Like a almost, unless it's like a Paul George, frankly, someone like that, I would consider Keegan Murray untouchable, but they at least have assets that make it hypothetically possible. But I think that they're really, of those three, the only one that has any sort of big deal left to make. And even then, I think they're too scared to upset the balance that they have built for uh, for Fox Sabonis and them over the last couple of years, even if uh, 
even if right now they have been relatively underwhelming compared to last year. There's seven games over 500. I believe in them to uh, to hopefully lock down a six seed and avoid the play-in, but they they have to be they have to be concerned, especially on defense. Going to obvious sellers. Uh, don't need to spend as much time on these guys because they suck, but the Spurs, the Blazers, the Raptors, the Hornets, the Pistons, and the Wizards. I won't linger on much of this. The Pistons should send out Bogdanovich. The, although, I mean, if they want to not set the losing record, maybe they should not. Uh, the Hornets should send Miles Bridges to prison and then already have sent off Rogier to, uh, to get, I think, a valuable asset. And they can reroute Larry for a little bit more, or if they buy him out, who knows? I don't really buy it that they're not willing to buy him out because, like, Lowry's in the 30 millions, and it's just tough to absorb that even if it's an expiring contract. Raptors have already sold a bunch. Blazers. I think that Jeremy Grant has a tough time playing with um, playing with Rex Beck, Scoot Henderson, and, and Anthony Simons, who I adore. Anthony, if you have a chance to get him, I believe is still top five in fourth quarter scoring in the NBA, despite playing on the Portland Trailblazers, which I think speaks to their friskiness as a team, but also to just his like, I don't, like cosmically hot scoring ability. He's still awful defensively, but shoots well from everywhere that you would want him to. Not a great at-the-rim finisher, ironic considering he has been in the dunk contest, but that is what it is. Almost 50-40-90. D. Has a great handle. I think that if you have the defensive infrastructure behind you to be able to support him, that'd be great. And if there's one, like, splash guy that we're not really talking about a ton right now, I think it's him. Because I think his offense can change playoff series. And the one that I really love for him, I know that the Thunder have been looking for size, but imagine him next to Shea. Having an MVP candidate with that electric of an offensive threat next to him, as much as I like Lou Dort, unstoppable. Lou Dort with the pass. Lou Dort with the pass. Please, someone... For the Wizards, I know it's talking about Kyle Kuzma generally, but like he doesn't really move my blood much. Uh... Denny Abdia, for anyone who doesn't pay attention to Denny Abdia, which is everyone, I do understand that I am alone in this regard for the most part. Please go save him. He's on a reasonable extension that he signed this offseason. He's so good, and he does a ton of little things that could help so many contenders. I just... Oh, he's young enough that I feel like they can justify not getting rid of him. He just turned 23. Um, he's averaging 12, 6, and 4. He shoots well from deep, too, now. Just save my mans. If you have a heart, like look at it as let's look at some of these numbers. Like loss against Minnesota, a close one. No one talks about his 24, 6, and 6. No one talks about his 13, 5, and 6s. He's just perfect, and I want him to be saved. Um, in the please don't ask me what they're gonna do category. A lot of teams, actually. Bulls, Jazz, Grizzlies, Mavericks, Nets, Cavaliers, Hawks, Magic, all for different reasons. Bulls because they're a disgrace and will never actually pick a direction until I die. The Grizzlies because without Ja, it, it's like, I, I know that you are a fan of Ja and that it um, it is 
like weird to see this team kind of listless without him. But if you were in their position, would you sell off to try and add a little draft capital to help them into next year or add right now to set them up for next year and let whatever guy that is integrate into the system? I think you offload and get draft capital now. Fair. I think that that's probably the right way to go just because all these guys are young enough and getting paid already. So like you maybe maybe try to keep jaw on the just hey, he's a flight risk for any team, so we'll just keep him and I don't think that they're they're considering anything about jaw, but they definitely need to get some pieces moved around and add I think they need to add a big man that can really play with him. I think that's fair, especially since it's hard to rely on Adams anymore. I mean, hurt again this year, obviously, but I mean, he's even if he's back next year, you can't trust him to be I healthy. Think he, an entire I was just say, I don't think you can have him like trust him to be healthy for an entire season. But I think he's definitely someone you want to have to play those, you know, 10, 15 minutes a game. No, keep him. Just health isn't is a concern. Yeah. And then I think they have enough guys like the Zaire Williams, the Luke Canards, the different varying values um, that can uh, can be thrown into a trade to at least entice someone. But I, I generally agree with you. Uh, the Jazz have been prob- maybe the best team of 2024. And so as much as a lot has been made about them sending off Jordan Clarkson, Colin Sexton, Kelly Olenek, I kind of think that they should just hold Pat because they've made strides. Keontae George is good and getting better. Lori Markinen is the greatest finish player I've ever seen. Low bar, but sure. Um, they, they are in a unique position. It's kind of like last year, but just they did it in the reverse order where instead of starting hot, they're getting hot in the middle of the year, which I find more impressive, honestly. And I think a lot of these results are convincing. Credit to Will Hardy, but I think it's almost kind of the same position as the Grizzlies, where you have your young guys that you believe in, Markinen, Kessler, um, even just having guys like Sexton and George, George especially growing, you you don't have to sell off in a way that fundamentally changes your team. That There was talk of Markinen getting traded at some point early this year, just like floated where... Look, if if someone is trading for marketing, like please, I will line up first at the door, tent outside for a chance to get Laurie Marketing with how goddamn good he is and the money that he's making and will continue to make. Just honestly, again, this is why they're under please don't ask me what they're going to do, because I wouldn't disagree with either way unless they sold off everything. But I think they I just hold on to everything. I think that they're just gonna hold Pat. Yeah. And I think they should. Mavericks, it's just tough because of their salaries and just the way that their team is constructed around Luke and Kyrie. They need the perfect player. Um, frankly, guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, who they already sent off. Grant Williams has been a disaster since starting the year relatively well. They need such specific players around Luka, and if Kyrie's there, then Kyrie too, that... I don't know if they're going to be able to get them, even if they want them. Like they might want Nick Claxton to play in front of Derek Lively just to have someone with more experience and have that inherent versatility or like the Jared Allens or just as versatile wings go. Even guys like Harrison Barnes, 
Or I think they might even be able to use Rui Achimura. Just he's not a defensive superpower. You're They're in such a tough position that I don't know if they're going to be able to get anyone that's actually worth getting to help them. And that's why they're here. The Nets, they're just kind of bad and stuck in mediocrity because they don't have their picks. So they might trade away like Royce O'Neal, but I don't see them doing much more. The Cavs have been possibly the best team over the last two weeks. And so we thought they might be sending out Mitchell and there might be a sweepstakes for it. Um, again, no. Like They might add because as much as I, I love Sam Merrill's 13 three-point attempts per 100 possessions, like they probably need more realistic bench players once they get to the postseason. But I know per um, like... A lot of places, playoff probabilities slash, um, I know ESPN's had them potentially making the third seed or at least more likely to than than someone like the Bucks. I think that they are not going to be a play-in team, which I know sounds obvious, but with how packed the East is with decent to good teams, that's not nothing. That they're almost, I think they have played themselves into a guarantee. Uh, Hawks, look, DeJounte, cool. Like, if you get him, cool, and I would love to see him play good defense again, but they're so listless and disappointing. I have one thing to say about the Hawks. The Pacers have done more for Tyrese Halliburton in the last six months than they have the Hawks have done for Trey Young his entire career. I agree with that. What's the best thing that they've done for Trey Young? Get... Clint Capella, I was gonna say Clint and, Capella. Dr- and draft Jalen Johnson, who they did not know was going to be this fun. Yeah, I mean, they mi- traded for Dejounte, but like, I was gonna say, what has that done? Uh, who's the other guy? Uh, John Collins, I think. They traded away Collins. I mean, like, cool. Kevin Herder, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, they got rid of Herder, who honestly just offensively is a better fit as someone who can run off and and like shoot, like catch and shoot just like work off down screens yeah. and be a perfect at least offensive pair next to young even if he's not great defensively i think clint was probably the biggest thing they went after and like got for him uh for trey but i i still think tyrese i'm trying to be more fair with trey young because i think he's fairly criticized for a lot of things um particularly his defense and just whether or not he's fun to play with and his offensive cohesion with his backcourt member. But I don't know that he's been helped that much, to your point. And to analogize it to Halliburton, like, dude, I mean, they just traded for Siakam. Like, that's better than the second-best player on the Hawks. Yeah. And Turner is a good defensive center. Their defense is a mess, but I think that's a product of scheme, too. I mean, even just having Buddy Heald trading for Obi Toppin, they have been quickly trying to add to him. Uh, I mean, you can't blame the drafting as much, but Ben Matherin is at least hopeful. I I do I do feel bad. Uh, the Magic, I I think they're fine. They are probably in a position where they don't need to do much more just because they can build into next year. They are in no rush with how young Paolo and Franz are. But, you know, if you can get shooting to improve their 29th ranked um, three-point percentage, I believe, and then you're in a good position. Next category, write it out. You need health or another year. I put the Rockets, the Pelicans, and the Pacers. 
to our point, Halliburton gets healthy. This season's already pretty much a success, in my opinion, as long as they don't fall off dramatically. And I think that Siakam is going to mesh perfectly. He put up a triple-double last night in a win. I think that he's a good defender and fits a lot better next to Miles Turner than Obi Toppin, who, for, for all the fun, like, athleticism and shooting he has brought this year cannot play the four he is a small ball five at best and he is not a good defender when he is he's a backup and that's okay siakam is a borderline star and a guy deserving of the money that he's probably going to get good running mate for halliburton great trade just write it out they've already done their move the rockets it's uh it the star has started to dwindle but i I am still optimistic in what their future holds. They're sitting at 20 and 23 right now. Top 10 on defense, which for this team that was like disgusting to watch as a not only an offensive team where whoever had it as they crossed half court was going to dribble it between their legs four times and shoot, to have unlocked Shangun, to have found a way to integrate your big players, Brooks and Vin Vliet, and to just be sitting at 500 and in like very close distance of the play-in is a success. And to this point, they've had the second hardest strength of schedule in the league. So it might honestly get back to a more respectable point as we finish out the year. They're going to finish around 40 wins, and that's huge for this team. It, if you want to trade some of those bigger salaries and try to get someone huge and they're the shocking team that trades for like Carl Anthony Towns or something, great. But I don't I don't know if you need to. I put the Pelicans here because they just need to be healthy and they already have their team. Um, I'm still questionable about the Ingram and Zion fit, but they've been good when they're on the court. Uh, there was a report that they might hypothetically be open to trading for Herb Jones. If they did that, one, if you're any team with... A, like a GM who is alive and has a pulse, they should be breaking down their door for one of the best wing defenders in the league. And the Pelicans were actually willing to do that and sacrifice some of what makes them so exciting when they're healthy. Um, they should be relegated to Europe. They should have to become the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then the last category, I put the Warriors because it's the Warriors. I have no idea what they can reasonably do. I think they deserve their own part of this discussion as we're wrapping this up because like a couple weeks ago, I floated the idea of trying to finagle Kyrie for Draymond or Wiggins and some combination. But there's no chance that the Mavs do something like that now. I think that they kind of have to go for broke and hunt for someone like Kat or Donovan Mitchell. I mean, like Levine, maybe DeRozan adding super, for star role players like Caruso, or, I mean, they're one of the teams in on DeJounte. What, what move is available that gets them anywhere close to what they can be with one of the top six, seven players still in the world? I don't know. I mean, you don't have much. I think one of your best bets is probably getting rid of Wiggins. I think that he's at the point where you need to attach an asset, though, and whether, which sucks. And I think that it's a pick. Because Can you make that asset Draymond instead of a pick? That's just more salary. True. Those two combined is going to be almost $50 million. 
which if you're trying to get someone big, good. I think their their salaries together get you Levine, but at that point, it's like they need more. They need Levine. more than Zach Levine, and I as good of as an offensive player as he is, and him Clay and Levine would be pretty dynamic. It's just their defense would be terrible. Draymond has not exactly been exhilarating um, since he came back. Like I, he has not caused issues and. There is something to be said about that. But, like, they just lost to the Kings last night by one, 134 to 133, in the type of game where you need Draymond to be Draymond. And he's just, I think that some of him is trying hard not to uh, to instigate and be a problem. And I do sincerely give him credit for that. But I also think it makes him less valuable when he's not, I don't know, I don't want to encourage him to be an asshole, but. Maybe that's what's necessary for him to be as valuable as he has been this late in his career. If he loses his edge, maybe he's just he's just another guy. He's just P.J. Tucker. Like, I don't know. Uh, we need more gains since he's been back to see if he can find his way again, find his footing. In the same way that Wiggins might just need to, to ride it out. I don't know. But the vibes around them and this entire team have been deteriorating the entire season. And it's almost at the point where... And I'll, I'll wrap us up with this question. I, I wanted to ask, who do we expect most to make a massive move? And the five that I gave were Golden State, OKC, Philadelphia, the Cavs, and the Timberwolves. Because I think that they have the most to gain. Like, you could say the Celtics, too. I just don't see what they have to gain by trading off one of their best players for someone slightly more impactful with how damn good they've been. I think that the answers for me are... Our Golden State and OKC, but again, it's just for like opposite spectrum reasons. If Golden State does nothing, they're done. Like unless you reasonably expect Wiggins and Draymond to completely turn it around, which is just unrealistic. What they can't go the rest of the season this way. And uh, setting aside the their whole the thing with their coach and all that, and that just makes the season even worse. I I want I want them to make a big deal because I do not want what is left of Curry's prime to be wasted toiling away on teams like this. But I saw you type it and it will never happen. But like if they were ever to pursue something in a full teardown I mean they can't get rid of Curry but there's an option to get rid of everyone else for the sake of next year and maybe the year after and just try to squeeze every last bit of juice out of Steph Curry that you can. They can't do it, or at least they won't, because of the Mount Rushmore includes all three of the guys on this team. So if you're willing to chop the heads off of two of them, you might be able to squeeze one last run out, but I just don't think they will. And then... For the rest of those teams, it, it's about adding. Whereas with okay with the Warriors, it's just about surviving. Okay. Last but not least, Raven, I need you to make your conference championship picks. Raven went three and one last week. Um, he picked the Packers, which almost paid off, but eat it, go pack go. Um, I went four and zero because I'm amazing. 
Raven, who do you have in Niners Lions? So we got we got two chances at the script for this year's NFL. They're either going to make it the good ending or the bad ending, and I'm praying for the good ending. I want both the Ravens and the Lions. I I generally okay. The good ending is funny. Um we don't want the bad ending of 49ers versus Chiefs. That is just America's least favorite game, I feel like. I think that we everyone would be fine with 49ers Ravens. I think so too, but I think Ravens Lions is just a fun matchup. The vibes are like perfect. With the Ravens and Lamar making it um and then just Detroit in general would be insane to get to the Super Bowl after this being the season that it's been and then winning these two games like after not winning any for 30 years uh would be crazy. And Brendan and I talked about this a lot on Tuesday, but I really do think that it's close between them and the Niners because it's a playoff game and they have the better quarterback. Like full stop. So yeah. perfect conditions. I, I generally think that the 49ers entire offensive infrastructure is going to be too much, but look, I think, I also think that is the good ending. So as much while I am taking the 49ers, I fully endorse the lions. Um, despite my general displeasure for Detroit. And then on the other side, we just, again, we talked about it a lot. The more I look at it and the more I look at this Ravens defense and just despite the Chiefs winning their last two games under the conditions that they did, I think that the Ravens defense is better than the Chiefs offense. And while I feel sacrilegious betting against Mahomes, I think the Ravens are kind of going to probably win by two scores. And I know I might look really, really dumb, but I'm planting my flag in the idea that this is Lamar's year and that they have built one of the scariest defenses that I've seen maybe since that Broncos team that won the Super Bowl. So you're taking Ravens and Lions? Yep. I'm taking Ravens and Niners. It seems like the the script, the logo, was right once again. But you know what? I I would be I would get up for that game. 100%. Also, the Ravens beat the Lions by like 30 earlier in the year. So I'd be more excited for that game personally. True. Raven, do you have anything left to plug? Um, go check out our off on the gravel podcast that was released earlier this week. Uh, yeah. we will be going back to weekly on February 5th. So get ready for that. Everyone noise, subscribe, rate, listen to everything else on the Alifio network. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great weekend and I'll talk to you next Tuesday. Bye everyone. <laughs>